The unwritten rules of Facebook. It cut all of our ad costs by over 70%. How do you want to be able to take in all of this data that's around us? Some of these campaigns have done up to $20 million in sales. I think this is going to be the future for the next 10 years. And now here is The Win with your hostess, serial entrepreneur, marketeer, and chief sexy boss, Heather Havenwood. Hi, this is Heather Havenwood, and welcome. Today I have on the phone Mr. Joe Sugarman. Hey, Joe. Heather, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Now, you're calling in from where? Maui, Hawaii. Maui, Hawaii. It's beautiful there. Well, I'm excited to have you on my podcast. You're my first guest on my podcast, and that's because you're an important person in my life and a dear friend of mine, and I'm just excited to have you on the phone today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule in Maui. Well, it's my pleasure, Heather. Thank you. Well, okay, so let's get into it. I know you have a lot going on right now in your life and your business. You've got a new book coming out that I definitely want to bring up, but, and there's also something specifically that you and I just did an event back in October, because really the event was for you, because it was one of your last, if not your only, your last event that you will ever do, and it was in Vegas in October 2013, called the Success Magnet Seminar, and the reason I want to bring that up is because I was just rereading your book, one of your many books, the Ad Week Copywriting Handbook, and you talked about all your different seminars that you used to do back in the day in Chicago in Wisconsin area on copywriting, on sales, on marketing, and what you used to charge for that. I just want to bring that up that just this last October you did, I would say your last one, your big hurrah, your last big event that you probably will do. You do speaking gigs around the country. So what was that like for you to do another event after all that time? Because you hadn't done an event in many years. Well, it wasn't something that I wasn't used to. I gave about 20 seminars. I just got tired of them, and I decided I'd Instead of continuing with the seminars, I'd write a book and kind of share what I taught and what I learned at those seminars. And so that's what I did. I sat down and I wrote this book, and the book was like a thousand pages. I mean, it was huge. I realized I had three books. One was on copywriting. The second was on direct marketing. And the third book was on TV marketing. And mm. so I came up with those three books. It was funny. At the time, we charged more money for our seminars than anybody else in the entire country. And at that time, it was like $2,000. Now, you've got people like Joe Polish that charges $25,000, so it's no comparison. But back then, that was a lot of money. And the people that came were very intent on learning, and they indeed did learn. We've had fabulous success stories. You have a lot of success stories. Actually, in your Ad Week covering book, you have some pretty famous people, including Al Gore, former Vice President of the United States, the founder of Sharper Image, co-author Chicken Soup for the Soul, Jack Canfield, and it kind of goes on and on and on and on and on. The list is pretty endless of the people that have really contributed their success to you. So you have a lot of different books out. So you said, I was mentioned earlier, you have a new book out. What's that? Well, the new book is called The Seven Forces of Success. I wrote a similar book 32 years ago, and I decided I would revise it because a lot has happened in 32 years, and I learned a lot. And so that's what I've done. I've come up with this new book. It's called The Seven Forces of Success. It'll be out in a couple months. It covers some of the secrets of becoming successful. I mean, some of the real hard-to-believe secrets that kind of propel you towards success and also some of the things that can drive you towards failure. And if you can understand the two and, and work with the two and make sure that you're really on the success track, you're going to do very well. 
That's really great. And your first book on the success book, what was the name of that? It was just called Success Forces. Success Forces, right. Okay. So I actually bought that book on Amazon a few years ago. And because you can't really, it's not being printed anymore. It was a used book and it came with plastic all over it, just like a library with a library card in it, which it made me <laughs> laugh. I think somebody, you know, borrowed it from the library and never returned it. <laughs> and they sold it on Amazon oh, yeah. about like 20 years later. Sounds like one of my customers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty funny. So can you tell us about what are maybe three of the success forces, one towards success, one towards failure, or one in between? I mean, can you share a little bit about that? I love that you're bringing up about the failure piece, and you talk a lot about that in your presentations. You said that you're one of the top people that have failed more than most. That's why you're successful, and I love that. Can you just talk about some of those detours we need to stay away from in failure? Well, <laughs> boy, a lot of them require a long explanation, but and I give examples. But one of them that probably one of my favorite, believe it or not, is honesty. It's just amazing how your customer knows if you're being honest or if you conduct yourself with honesty. And if you do, you're creating a very positive force that will kind of direct you towards success. On the other hand, if you're dishonest or you deal with people who are dishonest, your best bet is not to deal with them, just stop. Even though their maybe product is fantastic or maybe they have something that's very, very exciting, if you sense that they are dishonest, I would walk away. Mm. How do you know that? Can you share, like, in your experience? Well, it's, it's very intuitive. It's very intuitive. And in some cases, I was able to catch somebody lying to me because I happen to know the subject very well. In other cases, you find it out a little later. But it'll surface, and a lot of times intuition plays a big role. If you intuitively feel this person doesn't quite make sense, plus I've been surrounded by very intuitive people like Mary Mary Stanky, my gal who's been my operations manager for 43 years. She can spot them a mile away, and so I very often rely on her judgment. But honestly, that's a very important success for us. And so honesty, meaning you're going to be honest and then looking for other people that are honest. So let me ask you a question. So someone's listening saying, well, you know, Joe, I'm an honest person. I'm an honest gal or I'm an honest guy, but I seem to keep attracting people in my life that are screaming me over. They're not doing things that they said they were going to do. Why is that? Or how can I fix that of attracting or, you know, finding the right people that are honest? How do I know? Why is this happening to me? Well, you know, what my theory is that everything that happens, happens for the best. Yes, and, I love that. I love that. I love and, that. Everything and so when you're getting these negative people in your life, you don't realize it, but they are going to enhance your life very, very soon. You may get burned by them. I, I mean, I have examples where I got, I've had failure after failure. I got burned. I got t- taken advantage of all kinds of things, one after another. And when I look back, it, it all prepared me for the big success that I was about to have. So... And then the other philosophy I have is never be attached to any outcome. If it's a success, great. If it's not, well, that's okay too. But don't get attached to it because it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that you learn from it and grow. That one's my favorite. I mean, you taught me that one almost two years ago, and I absolutely love that because I always had everything happens for a reason. And that makes your brain, you told me this once, that makes your brain look for the why. You know, why is this happening? But if it's everything happens for the best, what a great way to think. Even when things are terrible or something happened or that you don't want it to happen or you see that it's not the best thing, it's like everything happens for the best. It's such a great place to come from. I love that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it really it really does work. It's just amazing. And even in the most terrible circumstances, I found that your energy is that much stronger. Your ability to manifest becomes much stronger. Mm. So, yeah, I just there are a lot of benefits from getting through those tough times and then realizing the potential that you have has been dramatically increased. So can you go down that road a little bit? What do you mean by that? So once we go through a failure or hardship or something happened, what do you mean by our energy is increased to manifest? I love that. That's extremely powerful. So what do you mean by that? What's your experience? What have you seen in your own life and other people's lives? Well, the more tragic experience that you've gone through, when you get through it, I've found that when you envision something and you want, or you want something to happen, it happens a lot easier. So there's a residual that you experience after the failure that is very, very positive. That's as much as I could say about it because it's very subjective. But I've just seen it work so many times that, well, I attribute a lot of my success to that because I didn't give up. See, one of the important things is just never give up. Uh, I, I went through failure after failure after failure, and I just never gave up. Why? It was all because of belief. I really believed I was going to be a success and that these failures were just little stumbling blocks along the way. And in the book, Seven Forces of Success, I talk about early failures, and some of them are hilarious, some of them are tragic, some of them are hard to believe. Some of them as a result of an act of God. I mean, you name it. I, and that was a very positive, I mean, it really made a big difference in my life. You're very wise. You know, you and I spent a lot of time together and, and we've broken bread together and had and meals together. And you're very wise in your entrepreneurial journey, but in life. And I just love talking to you. And I love that you're coming out with success forces again, you know, newly after 32 years. I think that's amazing. You put out a success book and then 32 years later, you get the opportunity to recreate it again. And I have to share that if people on the podcast, they've never met you or seen you, you're also extremely healthy. I've seen you personally do, I think it was 25 pull-ups on your own, just right there. Boom. And I've seen you personally do that, and it's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable to be able to see you be able to just pull that. I think it was 25. Was that a number? When I was in Maui, and I think you're pulling up 25, maybe even 30, right there in pull-ups. What have you done in the last week? No, it's usually 25 chin-ups. Oh, chin-ups. Like, it's pull-ups. Chin-ups. Yeah, well, chin-ups, (laughs) pull-ups. Well, you work out. How many times a week do you work out? I usually work out every other day. Okay. And, and you have that. a stomach of steel. And if anyone's ever seen you, you've got a stomach that's just ripped. <laughs> okay. Well. You do. Uh, you do. I mean, it, it's pretty. I mean, I have to say that's got to be a contribution to your success. Do you think that working out and keeping your body healthy, you know, has been able to be the contribution for your success? Well, I certainly think it's a contribution towards long life. One of the key things that when I was growing up was I just, well, I'll give you an example. When I was in my early 20s, I decided I would give up drinking Coca-Cola. And I said to myself, you know, I've been addicted to that. I drink about three or four Cokes a day. That's it. I'm finished. No more sweet drinks, no more sugary drinks. That's it for the rest of my life. And that served me well. And then I went on to give up other things like salad dressing. And for the rest of my life, uh, cough, alcohol, a lot of the things that I knew were bad for me and that could become addictive, avoided those. I believe that really helped with my health as well. The thing is you exercise every other day. And then the third thing is you eat the, the proper foods. 
You know, it's interesting. I think, you know, everything works out for the best. I think your story is probably one of the more interesting ones. Oh, my story? It is very interesting. <laughs> That's how we and met. I, I think we met about you. six or seven years ago. We met a long time ago. From what I understand, and this is how we first met, I'd give you giving speeches at different venues, and you were at one of them, and you started talking to me, asked me a bunch of questions, and so we went into a lounge area, and then we talked, and I yeah. found out that you were the gal that would put on these mega events, and yeah. that you were kind of behind the scenes, and you'd hire different people, make sure that their financial things were covered, and so forth, and you, yeah. but you were behind the scenes. You worked for somebody else, mm-hmm. and so that person that you worked for one day, while you had all these debts that you had to pay because they were under your name, this guy, this idiot, actually, just left town, and he took all the money, and he took all of the profits, and he left you standing with nothing, right? He did, yeah. I don't tell that story much, but yeah, that's exactly what happened. You were in such yeah. bad shape financially that if you don't mind me saying, you had to declare bankruptcy. I did. I did. I declared bankruptcy. But you've shared with me, you know, that it helped me get through that just because it was a failure. It's okay. You know, yeah, it's okay that no. that... You really helped yeah, me through that. But here's the point. Had you not had that failure, you wouldn't have met me. You wouldn't be sure. in your own business now because one of the things I suggested to you was to do your own business instead of being behind the scenes. Why don't you be up front and publish some books and seminars and all that kind of stuff? And then, then you got me hooked into doing a seminar. <laughs> I did, and I talked to you into doing your last seminar. <laughs> I did, yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for so much for your support. And, you know, I've learned so much from you, not only just breaking bread with you and having great conversations, but also from your books. I mean, I read your books, and I take your advice. I take your mentorship. And my favorite one is, you know, everything happens for the best. And that bankruptcy and that business failure slash success. It was a very successful business, actually. This business was a success. It just happened to be at a bad business partner. You know, it was a huge success. And as you said, everything happens for the best. And if he and I had stayed together as business partners, I probably would still be working for him and not going out on my own. So that's a huge win. Yeah, and you've got all the talent you need. I mean, you've got the talent to write. You've got the talent in organizing and speaking and got a lot of wisdom and a lot of information to share. So I'm happy to see you. I'm blushing. Thank you. I'm blushing. This podcast is about you, but thank you. You helped me really have confidence in myself. And I think that everyone needs that. But you definitely personally did that for me, and I'm endearingly grateful for that. And you're right. I do have everything that I need to be the boss of my life and own my life. As everyone here listening to the podcast, as you have shown that you did yourself for multiple years as an entrepreneur. And I'm just extremely grateful for that opportunity to know you, but also to drink from your wisdom, you know, and the understanding that failure is a part of entrepreneurship. You are the one who taught me that. Being an entrepreneur is a journey of success and failure. So thank you for that. Entrepreneurship is like ready, fire, aim. Yep, ready, fire, aim. It is. It absolutely. You've, I've seen you, uh, you know, start businesses and things like that over the last couple of years, and that you still work hard every day. I know that personally. You work very, very hard. Still are active in your Blue Blocker business, and people don't know you're the CEO of Blue Blocker Corporation, and that was a huge success. That story is fun to listen to would love for you to share it but how it just kind of came about do you want to share that story of how Woodblocker came about and just kind of literally popped in your lap well I was driving down the 405 in Los Angeles 
and I was squinting. And the person that was driving was a friend of mine who was going to take me to see a new product and because I was in the business then of selling electronics. So he says, here, try this pair of sunglasses. So I put them on, and sure enough, the squinting stopped. Everything seemed sharper and clearer. And I says, my goodness, this is terrific. Where'd you get these? He says, oh, they were made by a friend of mine for NASA, the space agency. The astronauts need that because they have to block not only all the ultraviolet, but all the blue light. Well, believe it or not, back then, people didn't know that ultraviolet light was bad for your eyes. They didn't know that. They certainly didn't know blue light was bad for your eyes. So I said, well, I think this would make a great mail order item. He says, no, nah, the guy's going out of business. Sunglasses sell for four or $500. Who's going to buy them? So I says, you know, I think I could develop that pair of sunglasses with the proper technology and make it a lot less expensive and probably make it in the Far East initially. And so he says, well, okay, well, I wouldn't worry about it. So I said, okay. So I left. I went back home. And we were doing an eight-page insert for United Airlines. We had mm -hmm. like eight different products, full-page ads for eight different products. And one of the products, the company that manufactured it, went out of business. And I had to fill that space immediately. So I called up my friend and I said, look, do me a favor. Send me that pair of sunglasses. I'll figure out a way to get it into production. I need to fill the ad space today or within a few days. But I've got a couple months to source the product. So please send it to me. So, well, he did. And I took a picture of it real quick and I wrote a story about how I discovered them. And that's very important, by the way, storytelling. I told the story how I discovered them. And then I placed the ad, finally ran. It was a couple months later and it ran in the United Catalog. Before I left, I asked my uh, assistant, I said, please, would you do me a favor? Give me the results of that insert. I want to find out how many have we sold of, how, of what. So they gave me a printout, and I'm uh, sitting on the airplane flying. I remember I was flying to Detroit for some reason. I don't even remember. <laughs> I'm looking at this, this printout, and I say, my God, I said, everything, like 10 into this, 20 of these, 30 of these, but this one's 2,000. What product is this? And then I realized it was a sunglass. I said, oh, mm. it was the best, most responsive item that we had in that insert in many years before that. So I, without even a hesitation, took that same ad and I ran it in every magazine I could get my hand. I mean, every one from, from Time Magazine, Newsweek, to Playboy, to you name it. It's interesting. I sold about 100,000 pair over a six to eight month period. So keep that figure in mind. 100,000 pair, six to eight months, right? But then President Reagan announced that deregulating television time and that you could have a half-hour infomercial. In other words, it was now allowed. So I thought, that would make a great thing for my blue box. And everybody said, Joe, it can't be done. What are you talking about? People, how could you spend a half-hour selling a simple pair of sunglasses? And I said, I think I could do it. And so I gave it a shot. And in one month, remember I said it took eight, whatever, eight, nine months to sell 100,000? Yeah, 100,000, yeah. One month, I sold 100,000. And we did several infomercials for Blue Blockers. And we ran it for a period of about six years, sold three, let's see, we got up to 300,000 pair a month. Well, let's see, we mm. sold a total of 20 million pair. Wow. We were, we were on QVC. We were one of the best promotions they've ever had. We were in Walgreens. It was the best single promotion they ever had in their history. The entire inventory that they had ordered sold out within a day and a half. We had a Fed Express all of the backup sunglasses to all the uh -huh. stores. It was a... Wow. It was a... What year, what year was that? Did it come out? What year 87, did it come out? I believe. 87. 87. 
Yeah. And it still runs today. I mean, you still own that corporation today. And we still sell the product. Still sell the product. I mean, that's talk about something that just fell in your lap. And that's, I mean, that really is sometimes the story of entrepreneurs. They just literally run into something along the journey. Well, that's the point. You never know. So you keep going in a certain direction, and sometimes something comes up, and it takes you 90 degrees from where you ever thought you would be going. That's the secret. That's the opportunity that really pays off. You told me that once. You shared that with me about how... You're going in a direction. Just go in the direction of the journey, and then something will come up, and you all of a sudden do a 180 or a 90-degree turn, and you have no idea what's going to take you. But it's in that journey that that comes across. And I think that sometimes entrepreneurs get stuck, and they don't want to make the wrong move, so they just don't move, versus moving and moving towards something and just keep going and keep trying, and something will pop up. Something will happen to take you in a direction. I remember that when you shared that with me, and I've used that personally in my life multiple times. I just keep moving, just keep moving. You shared that story actually at the Success Magnet Seminar in Vegas this last October as well. I have here on my desk one of my favorite, favorite books, and it's just one of these books I constantly read and reference. It's Triggers, 30 Sales Tools that You Can Use to Control the Mind of Your Prospect to Motivate, Influence, and Persuade. I just love this book. I don't know when it was originally written. When was it originally written? Because it's still so valid today. Oh, it was written in 99. I just want to mention one more thing about Success Force oh, sure. before we change the subject. Let me tell you what prompted me to revise it because it's a oh, really yeah. interesting story. I was at a SANG conference, a singers, authors, and networking group. There are some really good speakers, Tony Robbins, Paul Abdul, and a few other people. Very well I known. saw you at that event. Mm-hmm. You did. I did. The one, it was one in L.A., the Beverly Hills. No, uh, actually, that was a different one. Oh, there was a different this one? one okay, in, not this one was in Las Vegas, so I heard all the speeches. And then there was a networking afterwards, and I said to myself, you know, I don't really need this. It's taking place in Las Vegas, and I have a home there. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go home. So I go home, I crawl into bed, and I get a call from the organizer. Gail calls me and says, Joe, you've got to get back here to the seminar or to the event. I said, why? I said, I'm in bed. He says, because you've got a big fan here. I says, what are you talking about, a big fan? You don't understand. This is one of the world's top healers, and he owes his success to you. And I said, what? And he says, yeah, he's from India. Oh, boy. So I said, okay, tell him I'll be there in about a half hour. So I get dressed real quick, drive down there. It's not far. I go into this one little private room they set aside for me, and I met this guru, and we started talking, and he explained to me why I was his big hero. And I said, well, what happened? He says, well, he said, I was a doctor from India, and I took care of a lot of patients. And one of my patients happened to be this advertising man, David Ogilvy. Now, if you've ever heard of the name David Ogilvy, he's a very, very famous Madison Avenue advertising agency, and he had a castle in France, and he had a home in England where he was from but a very famous guy and a very successful guy. So, uh, this, by the way, the uh, doctor was Dr. Naram was his name. So I said, well, why am I such a big fan of yours? He says, well, let me tell you what happened. This David Ogilvy told me that when he died, he would like to give the best gift he could possibly give to this Dr. Naram, which was his entire book collection. And he had this very large book collection. So sure enough, David Ogilvy dies in 99. And his estate shipped all of the books to India, to Dr. Naram. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Naram's opening up all the books, and he comes across success forces. It kind of is an attraction. 
he pulls it out, he looks at it, and he started leafing through it, and he saw where this David Ogilvy had underlined and marked and highlighted, and so he says, well, maybe I should read this. So he sat down, and he read the entire book, and he said it changed his life. He was very shy. As a result of that experience, reading that book, he changed his whole format. He opened up offices all over the world. He said he has his own internet television show. He said, and it was all because I read your book and followed the philosophies and the principles in that book. And that was a thrill for me because we, well, we sold about 100,000 of those books. And when you think about it, one copy, just one of those copies, ended up in the hands of David Ogilvy, one of the top advertising people who was influenced by the book and maybe influenced millions of others, and Dr. Naram, whose office is all over the world, the testimony, his popularity. He sees about two, 300 patients a day, would you believe this? And he's that quick, he's that sharp, he's that smart. So anyway, uh, that was the guy that, after hearing that story, and I was really thrilled to know that I had that influence in his life. Yeah. I thought about it. I said, you know, I've got to revise that book, come out with a new mm. version of it. So that, that was a little, few years ago. That was probably, what, 2010, maybe 2009? I think it was about three years ago, three, four yeah. years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's insane. was really, yeah, that's, the, that's really amazing that one book changed an entire person's life, world, but not only that, touched millions and millions of people's lives, I'm sure, because he's a healer and someone that really helps people. I love that. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. I hope that I can look back in my life and say that I've done that, you know, and I can honestly say you have. You can honestly say you have. You have helped so many people, including myself, just with your stories and your wisdom and what you've gone through is just unbelievable. And it was so profound to see the amazing people that came out to support you in that event. You know, Joe Polish, John Vincent, John Carlton. There were copywriters from all over the country, top copywriters, completely contribute their success to you. And that's pretty profound. I mean, that really is profound. Now, you live between Maui and Vegas, right? Yeah, yeah. Right now I'm in Maui. I spend a oh, two, three weeks in Maui, then I'll spend a couple, two, three weeks in Las Vegas where my business is. I do a lot of traveling back and forth. But we were starting to talk actually about uh, triggers, yeah. which is uh, yeah. got good news. We, you know, we every time we published it, it sold out. Every time, I don't even know how many books we sold out. So many. So I've decided I've revised it very slightly. It didn't need much revision because all the principles apply today that applied 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I revised it slightly, put it into a paperback form. And it is going to press probably within the next couple of weeks. So that book will become available as well. And I really urge people to buy that because that is a book that will serve you for many years to come. Got a lot of really solid information. It's helped me double response on occasions. It, mm-hmm. It's helped me in a lot of different ways. And I think people will benefit. I love this book. I mean, I use this book, Triggers, the 30 Sales Tools. And it's 30 stories. It's 30 chapters, basically, of different stories about basically time-tested principles told in a story format on sales persuasion and influence and consistency. And I absolutely love it. And at the very end of each story, is you call it a trigger, and you say trigger number 21. I'm looking at it right now. Trigger number 21, simplicity. And you talk about, you know, each particular one. There's one here I just love this story. The story about the ice cream 
Sunday. Do you remember that story? True story. That was a great... It's a true story. Yeah. So do you want... Let me see what trigger that is. Hold on. Let me see. That trigger is trigger number one, consistency. It's a great story to show human behavior. And do you mind sharing the story of the ice cream ordering sequence? Trigger number one, consistency. Yeah. Well, I, at one particular time, lived in New York for about a year. When I first got there, I, I'm from Chicago originally. I went to the University of Miami down in Florida, and there were a lot of New Yorkers there. And they used to say, oh, there's no place like New York. There's no, you know. And so I, a long story, but I ended up in New York. And one of the, my favorite dishes was chocolate ice cream with whipped cream. <laughs> I just love that. And I used to order that in Miami. And I you know, chocolate ice cream with cream, and they'd give me a check. And it was at the time, I think it was like 25 cents or whatever. And so now I'm in New York. I go into a restaurant, and I order a dish of chocolate ice cream with whipped cream. And the waitress looks at me kind of puzzled and says, well, you mean a sundae? I said, no, no, just ice cream with whipped cream. She says, well, that's a sundae without the syrup. I said, oh, well, okay. Okay, I'll order a sundae without the syrup. So she delivers the thing, and it's... You know, it's chocolate ice cream, whipped cream. I eat it. I go to the next restaurant. A few days later, another one, and go there, and I ask for a dish of chocolate ice cream with whipped cream. The waitress looks at me kind of funny, just like the other one, and says, well, that's a Sunday. And I said, well, what's the difference? She says, well, one is with the, I have to charge you 35 cents for a Sunday, and it's only 25 cents if you just ordered ice cream. So I said, oh, okay, well, I want a Sunday without the syrup. Well, this went on a few times, and I got kind of tired of doing that, you know. So one day, you know, I said to myself, you know, I'm not going to go through this again. I'm just going to order a sundae without the syrup, okay? Or better yet, I'll just order a dish of chocolate ice cream. That's it. I'll just order a dish of chocolate ice cream. So the waitress comes over. She says, what will you have for dessert? I said, well, I'll have a dish of chocolate ice cream. So as she's walking away, I say to myself, why am I getting myself upset or intimidated? If I want uh, whipped cream on it, I'll get it. So I says, miss, and she's walking away. I said, would you put a little whipped cream on that? She says, sure. She delivers me the same dish that I've been paying for Sundays, but for only 25 cents instead of 35 cents. And I says, wait a second. So I go to one of the other restaurants that I had been at and give the waitress my order. I said, dish of chocolate ice cream. And as she's walking away, I said, Miss, would you put a little whipped cream on that? She says, sure. And sure enough, she delivers me the sundae without the syrup. And uh, the price is only 35 cents. <laughs> this is fantastic. So for a few months, that's the way I would order that. Then I was with a friend, a business associate, and we were together, and we're at the restaurant. I tell him this story. He says, hey, I got an idea. He says, you order it, give them a rough time, you know, the whole, which you normally do, and I'll just order chocolate ice cream. Then as she's walking away, I'll ask her to put a little whipped cream on, let's see what we get. So sure enough, I ordered, I went through this whole thing about the, the syrup and it's without the syrup, you know, blah, blah, and uh, he orders just chocolate ice cream. Well, anyway, she's walking away, and he says to her, would you add a little whipped cream to mine as well? She says, sure. She brings the two dishes, they're identical. Later, she brings the check, and the check showed they were charging me 35 cents, and they were charging him 25. So it was one example of the idea being consistency. In other words, follow a certain pattern. For example, a good friend of mine is a gentleman by the name of John Spolstra, whose son, by the way, is Eric Spolstra, the manager of the Miami Heat. He used to be in the basketball business, and he would sell season tickets, and people would go into his office, and he'd sell them this big package of season tickets. And then as they were leaving, he had this technique. He said, would you wait a second? Would you like to add such and such to the package as well? And 
they'd look around and said, yeah, yeah, okay, add that to the package as well. And so he was able to boost up that order simply because consistency. So anyway, the point is that there are a lot of different examples of that. Mm-hmm. So the trigger is consistency, meaning a human being is consistent, or is it because of being consistent with the pattern of buying? Like, well, what is exactly it, is about that? Well, people typically are consistent. If they're going to order something, they might order something else. They're more inclined to order something else. There's a mm. certain a pattern that they follow. It's like selling these season tickets. He knew that if he caught these people just as they're leaving his office, or just as he was leaving their office, they'd always go for it. they always go for the extra bonus or the extra package. So it's just, how would you use that in, in everyday life? Yeah, uh, how would you use that in everyday life in our business? Well, I think the uh, upsell is a, is a very good term, where you mm-hmm. offer something, let's say, on television or in print, and then the person orders it and says, you know what, just because you've ordered that, you're eligible to purchase such and such. And the person says, okay, I'll buy that. I'll get that as well. In other words, there's a certain consistency that they go, that yeah. they follow. And it's, it's, it's like, really, would you like fries with that? You know, with, with, with the upsells. Like, oh, well, while you're here, you want fries with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's right. I mean, yeah. sometimes you, like, I'll tell you, I go to Costco. I go yeah. there to get one Love or two them. items. I end yeah. up buying half the store. <laughs> there's a sense of consistency. Once you're in Costco, it's just there's so many things. Might as well, while you're there, buy that and buy that. Yeah, there's they do a great job. I'm like that with Target. I go in for one thing, and I come out with a whole basket full of stuff that I don't even know I needed. And the other thing, they got you trained because sometimes they'll have things on sale or some things they'll offer, but then they'll stop offering it after a while. So mm-hmm. sometimes you learn very early that you've got to, if you're interested in getting something, get it right away because it may not be there tomorrow. You know, that is one thing about Costco. They do do that, that I'm like, oh, because I've asked one time, like, hey, y'all had this thing last week. They're like, well, it's gone. You know, they don't reorder or whatever. You're like, oh, it's just you just missed the opportunity. And you're like, oh, man, so now it's trained. Like, when you see it, you got to grab it, you know. Yep. Yeah. Great. Triggers has been one of my favorite books and a lot of been a favorite book of a lot of my followers. Seven Forces of Success, I'm really pleased with that. It's a great book in, in terms of storytelling. I tell a lot of stories. So that's another trigger, by the way, storytelling. I know John Carlton heavily believes in storytelling, of course. By the way, somebody once approached me and they said, Joe, we'd like to do an hour program with you, kind of an hour interview. And I said, on what? And they said, well, on storytelling. I said, well, I don't know if I told enough stories to fill up an hour. I went to look through my old ads, and sure enough, I use storytelling so often. And people love stories. They just absolutely mm-hmm. love stories. I know when sometimes I'd be giving a sp- or I'd see somebody giving a speech, let's say, and then they say, and let me tell you a story. And then the minute they say, let me tell you a story, the whole audience comes to like they mm-hmm. kind of tune in. And I saw that, and I says, gee whiz, I bet your storytelling could be a very valuable asset. And so, sure enough, I started telling stories. A good example was the Blue Blocker story. I told mm-hmm. how I discovered it, and I told about NASA and all this other stuff. So, storytelling is another really, really good one. How do you, if someone wants to learn storytelling, if they're listening going, hey, you know, I mean, how do you learn storytelling? Well, that's a good question. 
I would how do you, say, how'd you learn? <laughs> well, you, you read, well, first of all, I had three younger sisters. My job was reading them stories. And, you know, they do all the cooking and all the cleanup and all that kind of stuff. My job was reading stories to them. And I would invent them. I would invent these stories. And they just loved them. They looked forward when I would tell them and everything. Well, when you're growing up, a lot of times things are conveyed to you in the form of a story. So you get kind of attuned to it. But the way that I did it is I would tell the story of how I discovered something or how um, how I researched. Like when I would sell a digital watch, I would actually sometimes go to the factory that made them and study every little aspect. I became an expert on digital watches and the components of digital watches. And as a consequence of that, I was able to come up with some really great stories. Like there was one where I discovered that the lighting element in the digital watch was actually made possible because it was sealed with a laser beam. And so my headline was Laser Beam Digital Watch. And I talked about how I discovered it, and I gave some technical comments about it and everything. But the point is, you become an expert. You learn everything you could possibly learn about that subject. If I was going into seminar giving, you know, giving up seminars... Before yeah. I gave my first seminar, I went to North Carolina and attended a seminar that somebody suggested I go attend. And I learned from that, and then I studied other situations where uh, seminars mm-hmm. were popular. And as a result of that, I felt very confident when I gave my first seminar. And that was the first of 20. And again, I charged my students $2,000. Many of them went off to become very, very successful and yeah. great success stories. I definitely understand that being an expert in something, but with seminars, I remember at one point when I started to learn how to sell from stage. And so what I did was I went to other people and I went and watched Robert Allen, Ted Thomas, who you know, and I watched them learn how they sold from stage. And then I took that information and then I actually taught some speakers. One of them was a speaker that I worked with, and I taught them how to sell from stage. But I first went and watched and became an expert. What are they doing? How are they doing it? How are they able to go into a room and after two hours be able to sell something for two or three thousand dollars to total strangers? It was always fascinating to me. Very good. You become an expert. No, seriously. Yeah. So important. And that particular skills, now I use that in all areas of my life. You know, who's the expert in this and how can I learn from that? How can you learn from that? Exactly. And how can I apply it? And before we go, you said something once before. You said, talked about how being a copywriter, being an entrepreneur, part of that is being able to be someone who is open to discovering new things and learning. You are no longer now, but you used to be a pilot, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I was an uh, instrument-rated, multi-engine, commercial pilot. I had Love four that. airplanes. Not too many people know that. I did at one time fly a 747. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that not too many people wrong. do, actually. And it was funny because that was about 30 years ago when I, 32 years ago when I had my book, Success Forces, and I would fly all over the country giving speeches and pitching my book and all that kind of stuff. And we did it very well with that book. I think I mentioned it. We sold 100,000 copies. But the flying days are over. When you live on Maui, there's not too many places to go to fly to. I used to fly like 30, 40 hours a month. It was getting down, because I was in Maui a lot, it was getting down to maybe three, four hours a month. And that's, you get dangerous then. Uh, You forget things, skip over things. I decided that was it. I had to quit flying because I didn't feel safe anymore. But I did fly for 10 years, and 
I had a great time. I love that. It just, it just reminds me that to always be learning and always trying new things and never give up. You know, that was so great. That was so great about flying. Because you first you get your private pilot's license, then you get your instrument, then you get, there's always one degree more than a right. commercial, then the multi-engine. So I always had something to go for, something to improve myself, and that was really nice. Uh, to me, uh, the definition of happiness is reaching one goal and having a second one ready to reach. Hmm. Oh, was, repeat that? We re repeat that. That's really good. It's, in other words, happiness to me is having a goal, reaching that goal, and having at the same time another goal to follow. And really, that's what it's all about. In other words, you always got to keep yourself challenged and motivated. And Well, anyway, the reason I bring that up is because flying was very much like that. After I got a certain level or a certain ticket or a certain thing, there was always one more that I could get. And it also proved true with airplanes. I had four airplanes. I had my own hangar, and I had my own pilot. Although I flew my own planes, but he was also a mechanic. Got real serious about that. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I love that. I love that view on life. Don't reach a goal and then say, "Okay, that's it." Oh, I, it's so yummy because I, I think I shared with you when I lived in Marco, and everyone there was retired. The average age is like eighty, eighty-five. Everyone's there retired, but I call it everyone's there to die because they get there and they're like, "Okay, I'm done with life." You know, it's like they have no goals anymore other than just to kind of breathe. And I didn't like the vibe there because of that. We weren't continued to move forward. That's why I moved to Austin, Texas, because I felt like here they're moving things, they're creating things, they're going to that next level for their life. And it does create a different energy to like, what's next, no matter what age you are. I don't think it needs to stop at a certain age. So I love that. Good Thank you for being on my podcast. Well, my pleasure. And you keep up your good work. You've got some really good ideas that I know you're coming out with. Huh? Yes, you do. You know all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun to be the boss of your life. Not only podcasts, coming out with a book, coming out with also seminars as well as masterminding and helping people get together and really own their life, own their entrepreneurialism, marketing, sales, and business skills, all the things that I've learned from mentors like you in my 15 years experience sales and marketing and my, you know, small years as an entrepreneur about, I think it's 10 years now. So, you know, it's a constant journey. That's one thing you continually to share with me as a mentor. It's like it never ends. The journey is always there. You always have to keep growing. And that's why I'm doing this podcast because I want other people to experience the mentors that I had the privilege to have in my life. Well, good for you, and uh, you keep it up because you're, you're on the way. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to The Win with Heather Havenwood. Interested in coaching with Heather? Go to heatherhavenwood.com and sign up for a business discovery consultation. Here is your free gift for listening. Get three audio chapters of Heather's book, Sexy Boss, How Women Empowerment is Changing the Rulebook when you text the word sexy to 7200. Again, text the word sexy, that is S-E-X-Y, to 7200 and receive your three audiobook chapters. Number is good only in North America. For outside the USA, text sexy to plus one three two three four five seven double two double eight. Text sexy to plus one three two three four five seven double two double eight. 
Long distance charges may apply. Heather wants to hear from you. Questions you want answered on the show. Comments, interview requests. Email media at sexywellsync.com or leave a private voicemail. 51 Boss is me. Again, the number is 512-677-4763. Check out all of Heather's sites. HeatherHavenwood.com SexyBossInc.com E2Lab.com DatingTriggers.com This is a sexy boss rap. This podcast is a copyright of Havenwood Worldwide, LLC.